morning. morning. I'm going to welcome each one of you here this morning. Thank you for being part of us. Thank you, visitors, for coming to visit with us and worship with us this morning. It's good to have each one here. I appreciated the exuberant singing this morning. I was I was blessed with that. Sometimes the acoustics, I guess, in this building aren't the best, and our singing sometimes seems a little maybe the way it does because of all of that. But this morning, I really appreciated the uh, the worship. So thank you for that. Thank you for your presence here. Why don't we uh, stand for a word of prayer before we go into the message here? Heavenly Father, you have been very good to us. Thank you, Father, for that stone. Thank you for the chief cornerstone. Thank you, Father, for purchasing your people with your blood. And Father, thank you this morning because of all that, the confidence that we have in you and the peace that passes all understanding that you give us. Lord, we just are a bunch of unworthy servants, recipients of your grace this morning. Lord, help us as a church, as a body, to be able to enter into all that you have for us. Father, we just want to commit this part of the service to you now. I ask that you would touch my feeble lips and somehow anoint the things that I have to say that would bless the hearer this morning. And strengthen and encourage our hearts to go on in our faith and our walk with our King of kings and Lord of lords. So bless this part of the service, we pray. And each one here, in Jesus' name, Amen. I'm going to get a songbook here. I, I, uh, two songs really stuck out to me this morning on behalf of what I have to share. I, uh, for a title, I'd like to call it Offended or Responding in the Grace of God. I was wrestling this morning for a title up until it was about time to go. I didn't even think of Brother Bill being here and his frustration when there's not a title. So I finally came up with a title that I think will work. And as we go along, I trust you will understand why I chose a title such as I did. Someone picked the song number 340 this morning. And I'm wrong. 460 it was. And, you know, it really blessed me. It's the one that talked about to be like Jesus. I don't know if we ever sung it here before or not. To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, my desire to be like Him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, my desire to be like Jesus. I appreciated that song because of what I'm going to share this morning. You know, sometimes when we sing that, I don't think we really realize what we're singing. I think... I think that. In fact, I really appreciate it. You know, I, I wasn't sure. It's always a wrestle to know what you're going to share and those kind of things. But actually, the reference to that song was part of the reference that I'd like to look at this morning uh, in a message. So that was a blessing to me this morning. One of the things, the question that has been going through my mind uh, ever since the leadership conference, and I was actually thinking about that question that was raised in light of sharing this morning, and I didn't necessarily choose the message that I did, even though it fits on behalf of that question that was raised out at the leadership seminar. I think it was when the topic was being discussed about youth on fire for the Lord, and the question was raised. I don't remember if John shared it here the other evening or not. What what is, when we say youth on fire for the Lord, what are we talking about? What what is, what is a, a, and I'm not just targeting the youth here this morning in the message, but what is it, what does it mean to be on fire for the Lord? And it would be interesting what, what comes to your mind when you think of somebody that's on fire for the Lord? I'm guessing if you're like me, we probably largely think of somebody that is really motivated 
somebody that does a lot of great things for God. Maybe we think of a missionary. Maybe we think of, of pioneers. They're out there on the front line. They're just they're doing a lot of great big things for God. Is that what it means to be on fire for the Lord? Does your mind go there, or am I a little bit different? Is that where you naturally just kind of gravitate towards? What does it mean to be on fire for the Lord? And I'd like to be thinking about that as we go throughout the message, and I trust, and I think being on fire for the Lord probably can very likely mean all of those things. I would hope and trust that if we're on fire for the Lord, we have a burden for souls and we're a motivated person. We are excited about this tremendous salvation that God has done for us and we're motivated by that. I would, I would sure hope that's part of our life and experience. But what are we referring to when we talk about being on fire for the Lord? Another song that we sang here, verse 2 of 347, was trials hard may often beset us. Crosses fill our path you trace. But a victor's palm awaits thee. Slacken not thy heavenward pace. Firm together, firm together. Let us run the Christian race. Enough of the songs that we sang. Anyhow, I'd like to just, uh, I'd like to just say that suffering and difficulty and challenges, I believe is very much at times, part of the Christian life and experience, is it not? I'd like to just remind us of that this morning. And let's turn to First Peter chapter 2. And uh, Brother Bill read some of this passage here in chapter 2, and he went right up, I think, to where I have in mind starting, which I think, thank you for that, Bill, that actually fits very well. You talking about that precious stone talking about the chief cornerstone. And you know, in all reality, there's another verse that relates to stone that I had to think of this morning as you were sharing. I don't think you alluded to it, Bill. But there's a verse, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 3, that talks about, it talks about, I think, the chief cornerstone in that passage. And then it goes on to say that we, we were, it talks about our Christian life, we're building a house. And we can build on gold and silver and precious stones or wood or hay and stubble. And you know, all of us are building our spiritual house. That foundation that we have, Christ Jesus, is a solid foundation and that there is no other foundation. There is no other way for mankind to be saved. But you know, in all reality, all of us are building a spiritual house and we have the opportunity to build on things that will last or the wood and hay and stubble, which will be chaff and will dissipate. Okay, First Peter uh, chapter 2, you read up to verse 8 and I'm going to read, just start here with verse 9 and 10. And you know what? I don't know why we as Christians aren't more of a joyful and happy people as we consider the tremendous gift of salvation. Let's just let these words and these two verses sink into our hearts this morning. Because of what Christ has done for his children, it says here, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation. We are a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in time past we were not a people, but now are the people of God. Which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And we read a verse like that, and we say, praise the Lord. Isn't that incredible? That we get to be part of this peculiar people, this royal priesthood, this holy nation. You know, we were not a people, but today we're the people of God. And we could just, we can just rejoice in a verse, verses like this, and we find strength and encouragement in a verse like this, and we could read those verses, and we could say, praise the Lord, and, 
and just rejoice in that and, and close the Bible and go home a happy people, right? That, that's who we are. And we're just, we're just, we're just, we're just so blessed this morning. And truly we are. Well, we're going to read the rest of this passage. And this morning, the things that I'm going to share, it's going to, I'm going to suppose it'll affect you the same way it does me. It's one of these more stretching passages of scripture that brings some conviction to our heart. It brings some soberness to our heart when we realize the high and noble calling that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. And I think as we consider all that, it's good to have the foundation laid, those first two verses. Verse 11 reads on here, Dearly dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against our soul. Do you this morning have those fleshly lusts and desires, sometimes they war against our souls, do they not? They war against our souls. This is part of the Christian life and experience, and you're not unique. I know as a young Christian, I struggled a good bit because I had all these things that were warring against my soul, and that was when I was over in a different church situation, and I looked at all that was happening over there at charity, that revival movement taking place, and I thought... They must just really have the power of God over there. Things are just really happening. They just, this victorious group of people. I had a wrong concept of the gospel. We have these fleshly lusts that war against our souls, do they not? Yes, they do. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, for the Lord's sake, whether it be to king is supreme or to governors or unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not to the good, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankful, if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffer wrongfully. For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. And now before I read verse 21, I want you to notice that this was actually the reference. I don't know if it was the reference that inspired the songwriter to write that song to be like Jesus. But in our songbook, it's marked there, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. And then he reads this, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, that we should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but now, but are now returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. I don't know if some of you remember, I remember clearly a message that was preached at Harmony years ago by one of the 
Rick Leiby's sons, it, it had something to do with called right responding. Some of you would probably remember that message. It was a message that I riveted pretty deeply in my mind. And he talked in that message about most of life, we are not the initiators, we are the responders. We are, we are called in life to respond to many, many different circumstances and situations. And this morning, largely as I'm talking here, I am thinking this morning, and I know a lot of my messages go here, and I don't quite always know why, other than I am one that have, over the years, become jealous for good, healthy relationships, okay? And a lot of life is, God calls us, I think, to respond in appropriate, godly, can we say Christ-like ways to difficult circumstances and situations, And, you know, my testimony is, and I'm blessed this morning, that for the most part, I have been able to be and enjoy good, healthy church life where things largely have gone well and do go go well. But we also know that there are church situations, sometimes they get fairly close home, where things don't go so well. And I sometimes wonder if Christ's example of how he responds in sufferings and misunderstandings and difficulties sometimes is absent that calls for some of those difficulties that take place. And I'm not this morning sharing this message. I, I, this is just, I just felt like as I was reading and studying and pondering and praying, this is where I landed. I'm not necessarily saying that this is a tremendous need among us and I have a burden for this subject, but I do know that we all live in the flesh and we all struggle with a lot of the same things together as it comes to those relationships. Now, I am a firm believer that our most important relationship is with the God of heaven. And we need to be connected with that true vine. But I also believe that it's healthy that we look at a passage of Scripture like this this morning and recognize when we sing songs like we did this morning, to be like Jesus, I wonder sometimes if we know what we're singing. Or do we really have that desire this morning to be like Christ? And we want to just go down through these verses this morning and consider some of those things. And, you know, I would quickly say this morning that I I, I so appreciate, in fact, that even... Considering this subject, I I scanned through our confession of faith a little bit, looking at our position on suffering, love, and non-resistant. And we appreciate that, and that's very much a key, vital thing of what we believe and confess, and we're strong on that, and we ought to be strong on that. But you know there is a whole heart attitude that goes behind that subject, where I think we can look at a scripture like this. We're talking about some real heart attitudes in verses like this, do we really want to be like Christ? And I think, you know, the whole concept and idea of loving our enemies, the whole idea of not participating in the military, and, and all those things that, that, that we believe, why it's only, I don't even know how to say it, but there's a whole heart attitude that goes behind that and reason why we do what we do. And to me, Jesus made it very clearly in these verses here this morning. So this morning we want to be thinking about those kind of things to a degree. And this morning I would like for us to just consider these verses of what Jesus was teaching us here. And if somehow we can learn to filter the heart and the attitude of what we see in Christ's life here and his example through our everyday life experiences down home that meets us every day. You know, it's not a situation where, yeah, we occasionally need to think about suffering law. We occasionally need to think of what Jesus said about not resisting our enemies and why we have the position that we do. It's not a thing that someday if we're faced, whether we're going to link hands with the military and go to war or not. 
I think this heart attitude ought to be lived out among us on everyday life because of our conviction that we are followers of Jesus Christ. You know, some would feel that the government already has the plain community in their scope, how they're living. But I really believe that if we follow what Christ teaches us to follow in this passage of Scripture, we we don't have to worry about that. Today is the day when I think we ought to be patterning our lives after Christ, not when it comes to that greater test. So this morning, I largely, in fact, we're going to look at numerous of these verses and just allow God to speak to us. You know, one more thing, maybe before we just, I'm not going to go over all these verses, but just a number of them, especially we want to focus and highlight on verse 20 and verse 21. But, you know, I would have to say this morning, and in fact, I thought of it again just as I was reading. I don't have it in my notes here. You know, this whole principle, in fact, I wanted to read 20 and 21. It says, For what glory is it when ye be buffeted for your faults? Ye take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, and ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. You know, I had to think this morning as I was reading over this passage, It's up in verse 12, a couple of verses there, but especially verse 12. I had to think of what happened several years ago over in Nickel Mines. You know, that whole, recently we discussed that here. I'm not sure if it was a Wednesday night or not. That Nickel Mines school shooting, that just majorly had the world's attention. Where they stopped and they looked and they were astounded by the Amish people and their response. And you know, here in verse 20, in verse 12, it says, Having your conversation, that means your life honest among the Gentiles, amongst the world. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, in that day when that happened over there and the world stood back and they stopped and they watched, I, I think God was glorified. I really think God was glorified because the principle that we see taught here as far as patterning our lives after Christ, in my mind, was amazingly revealed to the world. May God give us the heart of Christ when it comes to these things. So, we want to look largely here at verse 20 and verse 21. And I just would like to put it into our hearts this morning that I believe, yeah, I'm sure verses like this probably challenge you. I would expect that. It definitely challenges me. But I would like to put it in our hearts this morning that this whole idea and this whole, you know, it, it talks here about suffering, but I think it goes a little further than just when we think of, of literal, physical suffering. At least in my mind, I'm thinking broader than that this morning. There's, there's various kinds of difficulties and hardships and things like that in relationships. But I would like to suggest to us this morning that what we see in these verses here, I believe, are, you know, Dean Taylor says sometimes, what if Jesus meant what he said? What if Jesus really meant what he said? And I think it's right when we look at verses like this. These verses are for us to follow and obey here, to be like Christ. And so we want to look at some of those things. You know, our paths in life are crossed in many ways by challenges and by difficulties and by things that agitate us or am I unique. You know, things happen, our paths are crossed, we, we face hardships where we all, and, and that's why I called the message what I did, offended or responding in the grace of God, where we are challenged, how am I going to respond 
in this given situation? Am I going to respond like Christ would in this given situation, or am I going to react in the flesh, which we are all so prone to do because we war against this flesh? And he says here, for what glory is it when ye be buffeted for your faults and take it patiently? I'd like to suggest to us this morning that Christ is calling us as the children of God to a high calling. It says when you're buffeted for your faults, that actually means a, the Greek word here actually means a physical beating with the fist. Okay? What glory is it if you're buffeted for your faults and you take it patiently? You know, in my mind he's saying here, is there really a lot of glory in that? Is there really a lot of glory in that if we, if we mess up? If we take it patiently, you know, I had to think here just a couple of weeks ago, I I ended up involved in an accident where I was at fault. And, you know, immediately I'm I'm very disappointed. I'm frustrated. I'm all those things. And I'm thinking, how do I respond to this situation, this situation and take full responsibility and have a Christ like attitude? That's my responsibility. Right. And after everything was set and done, I actually, my wife ended up talking to the lady that was involved in the accident and established a good relationship, and that was a good thing. And, and the lady in the accident actually spoke. I'm not trying to boast fairly favorable of, very favorable of my attitude and things like that as we worked through everything that happened. And it was not a, a thing of conflict. It was not a frustration. You know, at the end of that, I look back on that situation, and I was at least pretty pleased with how that turned out. And rightly so. It should turn out like that. But you know this morning. If we're buffeted for our faults. For our things that we do wrong. And take it patiently. There's really not a lot of glory in that. In all reality we have to admit it. I messed up. I messed up. It's only my responsibility. That I would take res- responsibility. And have a good attitude. But God calls his children to a much higher calling. What if she was at fault. In that accident. And I got the blame. Now how am I going to respond. That's what we're really talking about, and that's what I think Christ, what Paul is driving home in this point here this morning. Now, I talked about being buffeted for our faults. You know, there's another kind of buffeting that can actually be more painful and cause more damage than somebody literally buffeting you with their fist. I have a copy down here, you don't need to turn to it, but Psalms 46, 3 and 4 says this. Who wet their bow like a sword. They bend their bows to shoot their arrows. Even bitter words. That they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly they shall shoot at him. And not fear. You know sometimes. A literal buffet with the fist. Will heal. And take care of itself. Faster than bitter words. You know what I'm talking about. And sometimes we all are probably responsibility for saying words that we shouldn't have said. And I'm supposing that maybe you're even looking at me right now thinking, hmm, I know some words that he said one time. They're still painful today. You know, bitter words are painful. And you know, sometimes, oftentimes I'm going to suggest it's more difficult to respond in a Christ-like attitude when we're buffeted with some of those words than a literal, as it says here, beating of the fist. May we allow our hearts this morning to be challenged. When life deals those difficult situations where God calls us to respond in an appropriate way, and my burden this morning is that we would learn 
and we could be reminded, maybe not learn, we all probably read these verses numerous times, but that God can sharpen our conscience as to how to respond in difficult situations. And I even have to wonder how many times broken down relationships, difficulties, church ordeals, family, whatever's, could have ended different if the people of God would allow uh, a verse like this to influence how we respond. And not only how we respond, but these, these things deal with very deep heart attitudes that I think... And you know, we, we, we also sang, oh, to be like thee, didn't we? Oh, to be like Christ. Oh, to think like Christ. And you know, this morning my burden would be if we would really understand this tremendous redemption that Christ has paid for us and how far we were from God and God give us grace to respond the way he would design and have us to respond in difficult situations. And you know, I don't know, I even had to think as I was preparing this, I even had to think, you know, we don't, we don't always do so well at even teaching our children this. How do we handle it when a child comes and you have two children in your home that scrap? And they're, they're in the middle of a conflict and we as parents come into this situation. And what do we often say if it's a squabble? Let's just suggest it's a squabble over a toy. What do we often say? They both want it. What do we say? We often say, who had it first? And we somehow justify the one that had it first, right? Uh, he gets it because he had it first. And I'm not trying to indicate how we should settle those squabbles. But I think where we're missing it sometimes, we're not teaching our children how to respond to life when... We are wronged. You know, that's actually an opportunity for a child to learn to respond in a Christ-like attitude because we are going to be wronged. And who was more wrong than Christ? We want to get into that because it talks here about the example, his example. And that's what he says here. He says then, the latter part of the verse, but if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Now, some of you are probably wondering, I came up with the title that says, Offended or responding in the grace of God. Now, I am far from a Greek scholar, probably about as far as what any of you would be. And some of you could possibly even correct me. I don't know here, but I do enjoy studying words uh, with a computer program. You can very quickly see what the Greek meaning is. And I found a very interesting observation. In these two verses, um, verse 20 ends... And you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. I'm sorry. Verse 19 first. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffer wrongfully. The, the this is thankful in verse 19 and acceptable with God in verse 20 are actually the same Greek word. Or at least it comes from the same root, root Greek word that is, I think it's charis or something like that, which simply means the grace of God. So what it's really saying here in my mind is that it, when we take it acceptable, you know, when we are, when we are, when we do well and we're wronged and we take it patiently, this is the true grace of God. And that's actually why I started with the question after I, after I had that observation, that's actually why I referred in introduction here to the question is, what does it mean to be on fire for the Lord? What does it mean to be on fire for the Lord? I want to talk about that just a little bit then yet in closing. But I'm going to suggest to you this morning that I believe part of being 
largely on fire for the Lord is living in the grace of God and responding to very difficult situations in the grace of God. And, you know, I think a lot of times of our youth, you know, we're living in a time, I believe, where there is upheaval in church situations and things like that. And, 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 and our youth, you know, sometimes it's easy to get tripped up and get a little bit confused when we see all that's going on in the, in the church and some of the things that we face. But, you know, even these very difficult life situations that come our way, if we can learn to respond in the grace of God, I'm going to suggest to you this morning that that is true, genuine Christianity. When we take it patiently, you know, that's actually what that means there patiently is not to deviate from the course. If we're wronged and we take it patiently, this is the true grace of God, but the taking it patiently is actually, even in spite of hardship, even in spite of difficulty, even in spite though somebody used me wrong, in spite somebody used angry words or bitter words or in spite of a family conflict or a church conflict that we can continue on patiently and not be deviated from the course that God has for us to go. I'm going to suggest this morning that is the true grace of God. It says this is acceptable with God. That divine influence upon the heart is actually what that word means. I have it wrote down here. Now I'd like to just back up. I know we went to verse 20 and 21. Now I'd like to go back to verse 18 and just look at it a little bit. And just consider what it's saying here. And, and maybe we ought to uh, even consider that I know in, in verse 18 it's talking about servants being subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. We could just simply look at this, I was going to say this earlier, in the context of a master, our relationship with our master. But I'm going to suggest that verse 17 would go further than that because it says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God. Honor the king. You know, it's more than just masters, but for the sake of the context this morning here, it's talking about masters in verse 18. It says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. You know, it's pretty easy to respond correctly to a good and gentle master, isn't it? You know, I have a good boss. He's, he's, I like working for him. He's, he's, uh, you know, he treats me well, he pays me right, he, he, he does, you know, it's a little bit like working for Marley, he does everything right, right? He's a good and gentle boss. Um, you know, it's easy, it's easy to respond right when we have Marlin for our boss. But then he says, but not, okay, servants be subject to your own masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. What is a froward? What is a froward master? It says crooked and perverse. You know, I think many times, even we as God's people, somehow justify a wrong response due to circumstances. Do we do that? It's very easy to justify a wrong response due to a circumstance where you have a boss that is perverse or you have, you know, we, we can, you know, I don't want to just target young people. I was a young person. I know what it's like. Well, dad does. Dad did. My boss did or does. Uh, and we can even target church leaders that way, if you will. You know, we can justify a unchristlike response based on circumstance. And you know, there's no glory in that this morning if we're understanding that rightly. Now, I don't know. This might even be referring to slavery here when it's talking about masters. I wouldn't doubt that it is. But nonetheless, I think God is speaking to us here this morning about having a right Response, verse 19, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards 
God endure grief. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffer wrongfully. And there again, that thankworthy is the same word of the divine influence upon the heart. This is divine. It takes the divine influence upon the heart for a man for conscience towards God. He endures grief and he's willing to suffer wrongfully. We really need that divine connection with our Heavenly Father, don't we? To respond correctly in difficult life circumstances because we do war against this flesh. You know, I think this morning it's right that we ask the question, how is my conscience working? How is my conscience working? As I, Brian, look back over my life and I look back over my responses to difficult life situation. For my conscience towards God, how am I responding to those difficult circumstances that come my way? We need that connection with our vine, don't we? And as I said before, we all have those things, this flesh that we wrestle against. And I think it's good for us this morning to be challenged. You know, I'd just like to think a little bit practically this morning as we consider a subject like this and we consider what possibly God is calling you and I to in our relationships, just to think a little bit practically. You know, in life, I've learned enough, not like I think I'm somebody that done great exploits or anything like that, but I've, I was on numerous committees and different things already in school board and boards and things like that, to know that misunderstandings are very real in the Christian life. In the Christian life, in the Christian community, with various Christian organizations, you name it, and churches, Misunderstandings are very much a part of the Christian life. And it's very difficult in those misunderstandings to respond in unchristlike ways. And my desire is this morning that we could learn to respond like the Lord Jesus in difficult situations when someone crosses our path. You know, do you ever think of it? It seems on the road these days, people are always on the edge. You cross somebody's path just a little bit wrong, they flip out and, and, and get all upset. And it's such an ungodly, unchristlike response. God is calling His children to have right responses. You know, I just had to think, as we think of this whole principle in responding in Christ-likeness, I don't know, maybe it's not even worth bringing it out here this morning, but just to share, you know, one thing that I have noticed Many, many times, uh, even, for example, in a, in a family business situation, many, many times a family business where, you know, dad starts a business, the boys take the business, and they run with it for a while. And oftentimes when the second generation comes on the scene, things begin to go downhill. Did you ever observe that? Many times it is that way. And I'm, I'm sure there's numerous reasons as to why it can be that way, but I think relationships... This is in the Christian community, you know, amongst the plain people and even so on. And I think many times, possibly, it's because this whole principle of Christ-likeness, when we feel like we're wronged, is absent. It can very much be that way. You know, there's many. One thing that I, and maybe you're going to have to challenge me along the, the way with this one, and you may do that. But, you know, there, I, I observed many, many times when it comes time to settle a family estate, there is conflict. There's tremendous conflict. There's fighting. There's money involved. There's real estate involved. And that happens. And I'm going to suggest this this morning that I think largely it's because the, this, this kind of attitude is missing. Well, just take the attitude of Christ. You know, 
Who was ever more wronged than Christ? Christ, as we heard this morning, came with, and we want to look at that a little bit later here, because it talks about it. But you know, Christ came. He was the most, in my mind, misunderstood individual ever. Can I say it that way? You know, He came to purchase our redemption. He came and suffered and died. He came and did all of that. And, 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 and God's own people, His own disciples, misunderstood Him and missed it. And yet, He responded like He did. I mean, it's inspiring to think about what Christ did for us. And it ought to be vigorating and motivating for us this morning to respond in that kind of Christ-like attitude. So the question is, how do we respond when we're misunderstood? You know, sometimes we say, that brother there, he's unapproachable. Maybe sometimes people feel that about me. I don't know. But something is wrong when or if we're labeled at that. We ought to be very approachable if we have the Christ-like attitude. If we have the Christ-like attitude this morning. You know, I think sometimes, well, yeah, we talked about misunderstandings probably enough, but, you know, I even have to wonder sometimes when it comes to leaders in churches, sometimes I've already observed where there's leaders that just simply step back and they're quiet. And, you know, there's something to be said there rather than, rather than, like most of us are tempted to respond and defend our case. Jesus could have defended his case in amazing ways. Think about it. With all his suffering and his purpose and his reason for coming. But he didn't. And he did it to purchase our redemption. To usher in the kingdom. And I'm not talking this morning. You know, I had to think maybe it would be good just to clarify a little bit. You know, I think, I think especially in the, the community of believers... I'm not talking about just simply sitting back and saying nothing. You know, I think, I think we as God's people need to talk about things. I think we need to work through difficult issues. I think we need to challenge each other on hard issues. I'm not talking about tolerance here. We just tolerate, we, we just tolerate things. We just, we just let happen what happens and we just take the back seat and, and, and let somebody run over things and let somebody run off with the church in a certain direction. I'm not talking about that. I think if anything, God's people ought to be able to communicate about deep things together. I'm not talking, I don't want anybody to get the idea that I'm trying to overreact here, but I believe it's only right that we allow ourselves sometimes to be misunderstood and able to respond like Christ would in difficult situations. That's what we're talking about here this morning. I think this truth here this morning can be very liberating. You know, in all reality, what we're talking about here this morning is going the way of the cross. It's going the way of the cross, what Jesus did. And you know, I had to think this morning, I guess you would call this an interesting paradox. You know, on one hand, we look at what we're talking about here and we say, that's hard. That's hard. That's difficult. What you're talking about is difficult. You mean responding like that in difficult situations. You mean just being quiet when I could stand up and defend my case. You mean I'm buffeted. I'm buffeted uh, in, in a way that's, that's uh, an unjust way. You know, I, I did everything right and I'm buffeted for it and just say nothing. That's hard. And you know, I had to think this morning, this is an interesting paradox. You know what? It is hard. In fact, it's very hard. But you know what else? It's very easy. It's very easy. Maybe I'll have a lesson this week. I don't know. 
But you know, in all reality, we are, and that's what Jesus did here. We're going to read a little bit later. He committed himself. I'm going to get ahead of myself just a little bit. Verse 23. What did he do? He committed himself to him that judges rightly. That's what Jesus did. And in the sense that I'm saying here this morning, you know, it's easy. You know, it's hard, but it's easy. The way of the cross, yes, sometimes it's hard, but you know what? We can just, we can just rest in God's word. And we can just respond rightly to difficult situations. We can respond the way God would have us understand in His Word to respond. And you know, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. That's a blessed life. That is what God has for His children. You know, on one hand, for the soul that's holding out, going the way of the cross, going the the, the way of the Gospel, being a follower of Jesus, we look at that and say, oh, not for me, that looks like a hard thing. But you know, in all reality, it's it's a gateway into a, a blessed life, being a follower of Christ. And my encouragement this morning is that we would learn to joyfully take up our cross and follow Him and enter into that blessed life and allow Christ to be and challenge us this morning here to have a Christ-like response even in suffering. Verse 21, For even hereunto are ye called. I'd referred to this before, but just again. For even hereunto were ye called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow, that ye should follow in His steps. You know, I said it already this morning, but it's not optional. Jesus Christ did all this to purchase our redemption, but He also is our example so that we would know how to respond in life. And you know what? This is the verse that talks about we're called. It's our calling. You know, sometimes we make callings a big thing. How about you going to Africa? Are you interested in going to Africa? Well, I don't really feel called to that. You know, we have a calling here this morning. We have a calling here this morning, a calling from the God of heaven, that we would follow Christ to the extent of making Him our example. And that's actually what we sing when we say, Oh, to be like Him. It's our calling. God is reminding us this morning of, of this calling. I'm going to read a verse in 1 Corinthians one twenty six. You can turn there if you want to. It's an interesting verse. Just to stick in here for whatever it's worth. Verse 26 says, For ye see your calling. I'm in 1 Corinthians one twenty six. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many noble, not many mighty, I'm sorry, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound things that are mighty. And then he goes on talking about base things and all of that. But you know, this morning, God calls us as His children uh, he, he doesn't cause the wise and all those things. Just those that will take up their cross and follow Him and be willing to suffer if, if, uh, if He calls us to suffer. Talking about Him being the example, maybe while returning we'll go to Philippians 2 yet and just look at a verse there. And this is a familiar verse to all of us, I'm sure, this morning. But just to remind us of it again, the whole thing of Christ being our example And it talks here about having the mind of Christ in verse 5 of Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion of a man, he humbled himself and came obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So there again we see him as our example. This morning we can ask ourselves the question, do I have the mind of Christ? Or don't I? Do I have the mind of Christ this morning? Am I taking up my cross and following Him? Back to First uh, Peter again. First Peter. Now we want to look at verse 22 a bit. 
And I think it's only right that we look at verse 22, and I think it's only right that we consider this verse is tucked in here. As we look at Christ and his response in very difficult a very difficult situation, and as I had shared before, you know, it's easy to justify our actions. But here we see Christ, it says, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And I agree with you, Brother Bill, that Jesus would have had the ability to sin. But he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And here again, you know, I, I believe I referred to it before, but we can very easily concoct a justifiable reason to have a negative response because of our right standing, because I did everything right. I did everything right. This brother is wrong. Therefore, we can justify a ungodly or unchristlike response. I'm going to suggest this this morning that this takes this verse, that this takes that idea, uh, uh, you know, in the Christian life, because when we consider Jesus, he did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth, yet he responded the way he did. Paul is, uh, Peter is using him here for an example. Christ as our example, who never sinned, neither was God found in his mouth, yet he did not defend himself, but rather he laid down his life for you and I to purchase our redemption. What a Savior. You know, we ought to be moved this morning as we consider Him as our example. I think we ought to. Verse 23, Who when He was reviled, He reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judges rightly. You know, we as Christian people, when we find ourselves in difficult situations where maybe we are misunderstood, maybe we are being buffeted, and we think we did everything right, you know, there's always one thing we can do. We can commit ourselves to Him that judges rightly. In fact, I read to you this morning that Psalm 64, I think it was, where it talked about bitter words. It's like shooting out arrows. Several verses later, and I realized this was back in the Old Testament, and I don't understand all the responses there, but it talks later, a number of verses later, the writer refers that God will shoot His arrows. You know, God will take care of those kind of situations. We always have the ability, and I'm thankful this morning that we can do that when we find ourselves in a difficult situation and there's a misunderstanding and we feel like we have to defend our case. And, and like I said before, there is the Christian church does need to talk, but you know, there's always an option. We can commit ourselves to Him. God is a righteous judge this morning. And to me, that is freeing. And that is liberating. And that gives me encouragement that we can commit ourselves to Him that judges rightly. Now I'm going to back up a few verses from where we were and just consider, maybe I have things a little bit backwards here this morning, but I think it's right that we just consider verse 16 a little bit. talks about verse 16 as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. You know, I think it's right that we use our liberty. You know, whether I have a boss that's good and gentle or whether I have that surly boss, you know, we're really, yeah, we're serving that that person. But, you know, in all reality, as Scripture makes it clear here, we're servants of who? We're servants of God. And to respond to those kind of situations in a Christ-like attitude. Maliciousness means to motivate by resulting Motivated by or resulting from a desire to cause harm or pain to another. That's what it gives the idea. You know, when we find ourselves in a difficult situation where we feel somebody has us pegged for a certain reason or we feel like we've been wronged, 
even as Christians, even though we all know the Christ-like response that God calls His children to, it talks here about putting on a cloak of maliciousness. You know, it's very easy when we're bumped to put on that cloak just for a minute to inflict pain back to that person that, that wronged me. Are we ever tempted to do that? I think we are. We probably are. It talks here about putting on that cloak. You know, when somebody bumps us wrong, somebody uses us wrong, you know, it'd be very easy to put on that cloak and just let a few others know. Or are we going to respond in those kind of situations like Christ would and be willing to suffer wrongfully? This morning we're servants of God. This morning we're servants of God. And I'm going to encourage us this morning as we go from here in various relationships, let's learn. And I'm not this morning sharing it like I have arrived in these areas. These, these verses challenge me greatly as I look back over my responses. But I think the Lord would have us this morning to respond in a Christ-like attitude when we suffer, even when we suffer wrongly, wrongfully. And may we be reminded that many times Jesus probably felt that way. <clears throat> you know, when difficulties come, it's very easy to take up an offense. You know, in the Gospels, many times it says they were offended. They were offended. Many times, possibly even the disciples were offended. The Pharisees were offended. People get offended and deviate from the course. That's why I titled the message the way I did. Are we, and do we allow ourselves to get offended? Or do we respond in the grace of God? It's a little bit sobering, but I want to turn to Matthew 24 and just read about five verses in Matthew 24. You know, I believe that we as a people of God are living in interesting times. And I, this morning, am not living in fear of the day and time that we live in. I think the day and the time that we live in is sobering. I think we live in a day and a time, and I guess throughout history we could always look at the Christian church and we could see struggles, we could see people deviating, people getting offended. I'm sure that that was always part a reality with the people of God. But you know, it talks here this uh, in this verse 24, and uh, I'm going to read, begin reading at verse 7. It says, it talks in here about the last times, I believe. It says, For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, they shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my sake. And many shall be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. The same shall be saved. Verse 10 is the verse that I was really looking for. It says, And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall, and shall hate one another. It talks about a day when many shall be offended. And that's why I titled the message the way I did. Offended or are we responding in the grace of God? I believe we're going to live in a day where I believe there are many that are offended or we can respond in the grace of God. Matthew 13, 20 and 21. Turn back a little bit. Matthew 13. 
and verse 20. Okay, and with the, you know, verse 20 and 21. But he that receiveth seed on the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath no root in himself, but endureth for a little while. And when tribulation and persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is fended. Speaking of a person who doesn't have roots going down very deep. And when difficulty comes, when persecution comes, and when those challenging times come, by and by he is offended. And he leaves off the course. I was going to refer to it. We don't need to look at the, the, the verse, but Daniel chapter 25, and it's talking there about the last days. And it talks about a time when many of the saints, many, uh, there'll be a wearing out of the saints of the Most High. That is actually what it refers to. May we not be part of that number, but be of those who respond in Christ-like attitudes and not be of those that are out to protect our rights, but respond in Christ-like attitudes. Now, I'd like to just in closing look at a few verses and I'd like to leave off here in conclusion a little bit where I started even though I referred to it in the middle about what does it mean to be on fire for the Lord. What does it mean this morning to be on fire for the Lord? And just uh, turn to Matthew 7. Turn to Matthew 7. And I'm not trying to build a case here by sharing this in any way. As I had shared before, I believe in being doers and all those things and doing great things for God. Yeah, verse 20 and 21. Wherefore, by your fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Verse 22 says, Many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You know, that many that will come to Christ in that day, if I'm understanding it right, and say, Lord, haven't we done many wonderful things? We prophesied in your name. We cast out devils in your name. We've done all these many wonderful things in your name. And you know, sometimes, in my mind, I tend to look at a person that does many of these wonderful things and say, he's a person that must really be on fire for God. And you know what? I think people on fire for God ought to be doing those things. I think they ought to be doing those things. But I believe a soul that is on fire for God is a soul that is bearing fruit. And I believe a soul that is on fire for God is a soul that learns to adapt the Christ-like attitude and the Christ-like responses. And when difficulties and challenge comes, rather than being offended and responding in unchrist-like ways, he will respond like Christ does and allow himself to be misunderstood, wrongly accused, falsely accused, and all those things. And he won't deviate from his course. And I'm going to suggest this this morning, that that is one of the very key major aspects in my mind of a soul that is on fire for God. And what a beautiful picture of a young person who is willing to yield and surrender his life to Christ like that. And he has a purpose and he has a goal in mind in the kingdom of God and being a wholehearted, genuine follower of Christ. And he's building 
his house on that chief cornerstone and he's using, as Paul said, he's using silver and gold and precious stones and he's building his house. And he's not going to be deviated from the course. And when those kind of difficult challenges come his way, he's not going to deviate from the course. He's going to allow Christ to be his example. And he's going to recognize that he's not serving that boss. He's not serving that difficult situation. He's not responsible for that surly man or that nice man, even though he is. But he's called to be a servant of the Most High God and to respond to life's difficult situations like that. And he's going to maintain his course. Now, there's two more references I'd like to look at. this, And you don't need to turn to it. I'm just going to read it. Malachi 3. You know, God is a refiner. God is a refiner. Malachi 3 says, when he talks about the coming Messiah, Behold, I send you my messenger. He shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall come suddenly to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Who may ab- and who may abide the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appeareth? He is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's sup. He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as silver and gold that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. He talks about him coming as a refiner and a purifier, referring to a purifier as he purifies silver. And I'm going to suggest to us this morning that we just allow God in his word as we consider responding in Christ-like ways in difficult situations and allow God, because of following Christ, to purify us the way he wants to purify us. In fact, as I was pondering that scripture this morning and thinking about the whole purifying concept, and I looked and, and, and I was right, you know, in Revelation where it talks about the lukewarm church. Now, I'm going to suggest to us this morning, and it's sobering, but that is one of the main key battles that in the last days we war against. I think we're living in the Laodicean church age, if we want to label a church age to it, where I believe in prosperous America, at least has been prosperous America, we are tempted to... You know, just relax and cool off and enjoy our money, enjoy all the things that we have and, and all those things. We, we battle against lukewarmness. We would all agree with that, don't we? Do you battle against lukewarmness? I hope you do because I do. Because I think that's one of the major things we're battling against in this day in our generation. But you know what Jesus told the church of Laodicean? They were living in a lukewarm state. He says, I counsel of thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich. And I'm going to suggest to us this morning, if we learn to respond like Christ in difficult situations, even though it may be hard, even though it may be difficult, even though we war against not being offended and responding in unchristlike attitudes, it will have a purifying effect on our lives. And I don't know about you, but I need more of that. Be careful what I say, because I know God hears it when we make those kind of comments. But you know, in all reality, we need that sanctifying, purifying effect. We, we, we need that in our life. It's healthy for us. So let's let Christ be our example when it comes to working through difficult situations. Why don't we just bow our heads for prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your love. Thank you for your great mercy. I thank you for the people of God, the small group, the small flock that we are here gathered together. Thank you, Father, for the peace that we are enjoying in our land. And the prosperity and all the good things of God. We just thank you for all of that. Yet we realize, Lord, that we are very much prone to calling off and 
responding the way our neighbors do around us to difficult situations. And I pray, Father, that you would help each one of us as we go from this place throughout the next week, weeks and months and years to respond to life, respond to difficult situations and allow our Lord and Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, to truly be our example and recognize it's our calling and to truly build upon our foundation uh, those precious stones. Father, I just commit our lives to you. Just thank you for it. Pray that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.